You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. One House is a recruitment firm providing a tailored talent search to hospitality operators throughout the country. Empowered Hospitality provides human resources services to the restaurants and hotel sector, empowering operators with knowledge, guidance, and time. Together, we are Recruit, Retain, Relax. Excellent. Welcome back to Recruit, Retain, Relax uh, in the back of Roberta's here in Brooklyn, Heritage Radio Network. Um, Our goal with this show is to enlighten, uncover, uh, dissect, and explore the current staffing dilemma uh, as it pertains specifically to the hospitality sector. You know, what's changing, what operators can do to react and adapt. And we're going to try to attack this topic through uh, from different angles, really. Uh, and, and that really comes down to the guests that are coming here and discussing it from their perspective. So uh, we're looking at, obviously, recruitment, retention, and the intangible quality of life variable, which is so key. Um, our hope is to yield some takeaways from uh, for our listeners and, you know, directly from the day-to-day operators themselves. So my co-host and I take this topic seriously. We both run national uh, recruitment firm and hospitality and human resource consulting companies servicing the industry from Michelin to mom and pop, fine dining to fast casual, um, all the way down the chain. So welcome. Welcome, Andrew Riggi from the Hospitality Alliance here in New York City. And we have Elvira Ryder, human resource director extraordinaire, working with some of the today's most relevant brands. Thank you for that. Right? I like that. Nice intro. It's real. It's real. It'll be on my next card. <laughs> yes. It's and true. that intro music. I like that song. You should have you've been at the Grammys last it's, night. You know what? I think that should win a Grammy. That uh, jingle is fantastic. <laughs> Big shout out to Tammy Hart from One House for doing that jingle. Yeah. <laughs> and the winner is. And the winner is. Right? Nice. Red carpet. Um, so we're going to jump right into it. And we're talking about the recruitment bit first. And New York City minimum wage going up to $15 at the end of this year, December 31st. How do you, Andrew, anticipate that this will flatten uh, you know, the pay rates offered to hourly employees of different levels and the ripple effect that will have on salary levels as well? Um, how do you believe restaurants can attract and incentivize top performers while still meeting their labor budgets and being reasonable? Well, I think it's a huge challenge. The restaurateurs are trying to figure out how are they going to afford the $15 minimum wage on top of all of the other skyrocketing costs. A restaurateur I know um, said to me, it's not just one issue on its own. It's kind of like death by a thousand cuts. It's so many issues over so few years that are constantly changing how restaurants operate. So by increasing the wages to $15 an hour, it's going to put upward pressure on the wages of everyone else that have more skill sets and have more time with the restaurant. So if I was making $15 or $16 an hour and I've been there for a little while and I have some experience, and then all of a sudden an entry-level person is coming in getting paid $15 an hour, well, of course, 
as it being an employee, I'm going to want an increase, and I'd probably in sense deserve it. But as we all know, there's only so much money that the restaurant has to go around to pay for all these expenses. So there could be a few things that can happen. One, workers can have hours reduced. They can get overtime cut, which we see happening a lot already. Um, jobs can just be eliminated. Uh, and the dynamic of the industry can change. So I think there's a lot of different things that can happen and play out, which I'm sure we'll get into. But generally speaking, people are scrambling to figure out what to do and how to do it. That's a great answer. Um, coming from another different angle, maybe the HR director angle. Elvira, same question. Obviously, the ripple effect on the $15 increase at the end of this year, what that's going to do to like Andrew mentioned, the people that have been there for a couple of years and more or less making that money, that 15 an hour, uh, but also perhaps a ripple effect on salaried positions on the lower end that are now potentially making less than an hourly person uh, that's coming in, right? Excellent uh, topic to, to tackle here. It's, it's making it more and more and more difficult to do our, our job uh, in terms of attracting and retaining good talent. It's making it more and more difficult to open restaurants, to run restaurants. And I, you know, we're, we're watching labor so carefully already, um, just keeping the, that spread of hours, the overtime, the breaks. Um, I'm not sure how much more can be cut there. Mm -hmm. So it's really going to be in hours, as, as uh, Andrew well said. You know, so if you were used to taking home I don't know, 10, 15, 20 hours of overtime a week, chances are that's going to go away because um, we're just not going to be able to afford that. It's also, it makes me wonder about those entry-level positions. It's human nature to want more. You know, it's human nature to look around and see what everybody else is doing and, well, why is he making more if, you know, if I've been here five, five years longer doing the same job. So yes, it's going to apply pressure upwards. You know, it's, it's going to affect the entry level manager position. It's going to affect, I think, the upward mobility. Mm -hmm. If so, if you're a busser looking to be a server, looking to be a service director and in turn to management, all that's, it's now anybody's guess. Do you know? I mean, I wish sure. I, I wish I had a little magic wand to say everything is going to be okay. Now, I, I say that, but I also know that we are very resilient people. We're a very resilient city, and we're very resilient people, so we I have faith that we'll figure True. it out. If any industry can figure things out, it's the It'll be this one. I mean, we'll It'll be this one. Yeah, one of the things uh, that, that I think is happening now, just three restaurateurs have told me this recently, that they have stopped having people hand-cut French fries, which is really telling. So instead of having a person work and get paid to hand cut french fries they're now ordering them so what happens now that person may not have a job or they may have reduced hours but what also happens is something really telling is that that individual is not having the opportunity to learn a new skill set and get new experience which historically in the restaurant industry is the way you've kind of grown through the ranks you come in entry level you hand cut french fries, you learn different jobs, and that's how you're able to grow within a company, get experience, and so many people eventually have gone on and even opened their own restaurants. Um, so when there's pressure put on businesses to find the lowest, sorry, the pun, lowest hanging fruit or jobs that they can cut or reduce hours, it's usually hurting the people that we really should be trying to help the most. Absolutely. And how that will change the dynamic of the industry is still an unknown, but it's something mm. we really, really need to start talking about, 
thinking about and acting upon now before it's too late. And we go, hey, remember when there used to be all those yeah. prep cooks? That you right. People used to peel potatoes back in yeah. the day. Yeah. <laughs> right. there, there goes prep, you know, yeah. just like mm-hmm. definitely. And then where is that crust? You know, the, the traditional. Um, this industry is one of the last guilds, yes. you know, from the medieval, uh, in the medieval terms, it's the second oldest profession. What's um, the first? Just kidding. Well, we can say that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we different know. topic. Yeah. Right? Um, I hope so, robots don't so, take so, that one No, away. so it's, it's vocational training, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it, this, this notion of going to a school to get a degree in hospitality is a fairly modern phenomenon. So most people, I'm third generation hospitality, mm-hmm. you know, and I did my fair share of cleaning toilets and making beds and you know in my, in my parents hotel but you know if you're coming in and it's all this cross training used to happen like you said it's a dishwasher today this one didn't show up okay go go do that it's not going to happen so it also affects upward mobility not just from a salary perspective but what kind of future what skill kind of growth set. are you it's yeah. skill set absolutely I one, think, of, oh. one of the things that's interesting we've talked about uh, kind of before the show actually is what pressure the increased minimum wage puts on retention and other Mm -hmm. means to achieve retention. So the education piece is interesting in the sense that we may have lost some opportunities to educate, but we've also placed a higher importance on education as a differentiation between one company and another. No, I'm also thinking in terms of, you know, I'm used to having all staff meetings, right, uh, to do either instruction, inspire, uh, talk about the themes. And that's paid time, you know, and if I have 145 people in that room for the hour and a half that it's going to take to do this thing that we want to do, chances are I'm not going to be doing that every month. I may just do it every quarter or twice a year. Do you know? So, yes. So it's it's amazing. The ripple effect Mm -hmm. is interesting. I guess a good segue onto the next question, which is what what comes next? Uh, What is the other option other than a human? It's a robot, right? We're entering the whole Terminator machines taking over oh, bit. Uh, yeah. So uh, someone like Danny Meyer, someone like Shake Shack, right? Looking to automate some of the entry level or, or more of the order takers and things like that. And how that is going to affect, you know, the, the rest of the ranks, right? Um, is that a good way of cutting inflating labor costs and staying afloat? Uh, what are your thoughts on that practice? So there's an incredible organization in the city called Center for an Urban Future. Uh, they just recently published a study about uh, automation in the workforce, covering all different sectors. But what was really interesting for the purpose of this conversation is they found that between 80 and 90 percent of restaurant jobs, both in full service and limited service restaurants, are subject to automation. Now, it's not saying that all of those jobs will be automated, but they have the potential to be over the next, you know, however many years. And I think, again, that's something we really need to start thinking about now, because eventually technology is going to take over, as it already is, so many aspects of our lives. But what's happening when you put wage and other pressures on these jobs, I believe it actually exacerbates this process. So we need to have the types of conversations that we're having here that if jobs are going to be eliminated by technology or they're going to be augmented by technology, what does that mean for the business and what does it mean for the workforce? And the restaurant industry has been really the one bright spot 
since 9-11 and then after 2008 that we've actually continued to employ people and grow as an industry while most other sectors were uh, shrinking. And we're starting to see some of the impacts because even since 2015, when there was a 50% increase in the tipped wage for tipped workers, um, before that, the growth continued to grow and grow pretty significantly, about 6% a year. Since 2015 and that 50% increase, to date, we are down to about 1.9% employment growth in full-service restaurants wow. in the city. So there's been a chop in about half of employment growth. And if we follow that trajectory, what does it mean? Negative growth? Flat growth? I don't know. I don't think anyone knows. But we have to presume that we could see fewer jobs. And what does it mean? These are jobs that go to people who will work really hard that may not speak English at all. Forget it being first, second, or third yeah. language. Um, don't have a college degree or a high school degree. Uh, you know, had been incarcerated. So this industry has provided so many opportunities for people that otherwise may not have opportunities. And as automation tends to take many of the jobs that are more entry level or jobs get reduced that are more entry level, mm -hmm. um, what does it mean for all of these people? I mean, that's a good point. And, and the ripple effect going backwards, I guess, to the root is, you know, is the hospitality industry still a relevant and exciting and viable career choice for some of the, you know, the new kids coming out of school or actually going into school, right? I, I mean, I hear that a lot of the culinary schools are, are actually down their numbers, right? The actual so the enrollment, enrollment down, right? right? So are people, are they still thinking, okay, this is a sexy career for me. This is actually a great way up. You know, or you know what? Maybe I'll do graphic design, or I'll do something totally different. Um, and that commitment level, right off the bat, not even enrolling into school, or the ones that are enrolling and coming out of school with crazy expectations of what their job and their pay are going to be, some of them are getting disillusioned. That's why we see a lot of those mm -hmm. one or two year, you know, stints, and then they bounce, they go somewhere else, and that's also helping to dry out the uh, the talent pool right and everyone's scrambling for whoever's left right so that a lot of ripple effects and, and the more we talk about these things if they get you know uh, an idea hey some of these jobs are going to be eliminated it's actually going to be harder for me to get a job maybe I'm going to choose a whole new career that's a whole other can of worms well, but I think um, it, it's also yeah. um, I think depends on the segment of the industry I mean I can mm -hmm. see automation having a um, in in um, fast food. For example, they they've been very early. They've been early adapters of technology, and I think we'll continue to do that. Low touch. Um, low touch. Yeah. You know, um, fine dining. It will have to figure out how that how they use technology. Maybe it's in the kitchen, sous vide. Um, I don't know that constitutes technology in the way that we're thinking about, but mm -hmm. there are smarter ways of doing the things that we've traditionally done. Um, I think what the question mark is really that casual segment which is a hybrid, mm -hmm. pretty much made up in, you know, urban cities like New York and L.A. and San Francisco. Yeah. It's like, what's going to happen there? And I think part of that answer is, what is the customer going to tolerate? You know, so I asked myself, with millennials and their ease with technology, mm -hmm. it, you know, it would probably bother me a lot more than it might my daughter's. Correct. They're, it's a they're, generation they're just, thing Exactly. Well. So there's a generation thing. So eventually, you know, it'll age out. In, in a way. True. Um, yeah, I mean, Andrew brought something up that was interesting before, which was the barista, right? That's a good example right mm -hmm. there. Is the barista going the way of the dinosaur? Can you literally press a button? Everyone, a lot of people have these at home. You press the button, boom, you get a, a latte, right? 
you know, do we still want that kind of snarky, sarcastic talk with a barista behind the machine, or is it just pressing a button, getting your coffee, and you're out? But again, so it's like the customer is going to dictate that. Yeah. Right. It's like, what what experience do I want as a customer? I know what I want, and I go where I'm going to get that. So sure. we really have to see what what the market dictates. Yeah. I think what ends up happening, and I, and I know in transparency, my job, we represent the hospitality in the city, so we're representing the employers. Um, but we have an interesting seat looking into all of these issues that are impacting them. And one of the things that has always bothered me about a lot of these discussions, everyone I speak to, they're good people. They understand how expensive it is to live in New York City. They have kids. They get it. Like, you know, but the discussions often pin like you know it's the employer against the employee or you know we're going to raise this wage and the employer says well i'm not going to be able to afford that but so much of what we're talking about right now is a much larger societal issue i mean if you make the minimum wage twenty dollars an hour now is all of a sudden someone going to be able to afford to live in new york city comfortably raise kids no it's going to continue to be a challenge so there's a lot of systemic issues that come out of just living in a complex society and the easiest way people tend to say we're going to fix this is say we're going to make the employer pay for it and i'm sorry restaurateurs and for the most part they're small businesses and just putting this way the cost is the complexity and the liability Mm -hmm. associated with trying to comply with all of these laws. And what I've heard, which is so disheartening from so many operators, is they say, yeah, all this regulation is crazy, just the fun is gone. And I mm. think that's the biggest enthusiasm. Well, yeah. oh, I, absolutely. You know, even from a from a functional perspective as an HR director, uh, it's where where is my attention now? My attention now is on compliance. That's interesting. Covering you know, your butt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, my attention's on compliance. It's not on the things that I really enjoy and love, which is the coaching, the training, mm-hmm. the development, and the recruiting. I mean, the recruiting, yes, always. But do you know? It's mm-hmm. like what it's we it's paper shuffling you know because i've got this report to do over here and then i got that other agency Mm -hmm. wants that report and then so much is being asked of us that it's almost impossible to have a one person hr department anymore it's good point virtually impossible to do that yet we're not a revenue generating Mm. uh, piece in the equation so we we know we tend to be the sort of well, I think you're all so, so, so important. <laughs> I can never say it. No, much. thank you. <laughs> and all HR people just tend to be amazing people, too. But thank all you. of this is part of a bigger discussion, again, of what are we going to do living in high-cost cities where, you know, it just is very difficult. And the restaurant industry is a penny's business. And there's the old joke, you know, how do you make a small fortune in the restaurant industry? You start with a large fortune. You know, it's just... <laughs> how you bleed money and lose money and i think the smart operators and people that are going to succeed are going to have to try to transition their business model so if you're reducing people on the floors and in the kitchen are there other opportunities you know social media you know who are the people that are going to be administering this technology because even if you're using you know artificial intelligence which continues to evolve and evolve there's still places for people um Mm -hmm. So the types of jobs may change. You have to be more educated, have more experience to be able to work these types of jobs, which obviously have the ramifications for the entry-level positions that have been, you know, so beneficial to the industry and society 
uh, throughout the past. Well, we also talked a little bit um, before the show about, you know, the growth really seems, because there is growth, there is growth in the industry. Um, so much of it seems to be with groups that are already established. And by established, I mean have more than one, have two or three, have multiples. Um, but it looks like that growth is outside of New York. Do you know? So they're opening D.C. D.C. is a very hot market right now. Yes, it is. You know, Boston is like right behind it. L.A. and San Francisco, which I refer to as the independent republics of California. Um, because, I mean, they're, they're yes. talking about crazy, you know, from a compliance yeah. point of view. It's mm-hmm. insane. Yet people keep opening restaurants in California and Got they it. make money. Glutton so. for punishment. But it's an amazing industry and that's why it's important. The people that are in the industry are mm-hmm. so passionate about it. And it's like they could go be in another industry but somehow they get pulled back because it's just in their blood it's in their the social aspect and and the human aspect and that's something that we just can't lose so automation yeah to some degree there might be some things that can be pushed that way but we are we still want that human interaction when we go to a restaurant that i don't think that's going to change uh but the model maybe has to quick segue the hybrid role and this is something that i've been talking to a lot of operators owners hr directors how can you cut a corner without the guest feeling it or suffering right and maybe it's looking a little deeper at the candidate pool and seeing who could potentially fulfill two different roles maybe it's a gm that came up the ranks of being a sommelier or beverage director someone that could maybe lead the wine program but still be the gm maybe you don't have to hire two people for that that person gets a slightly higher salary range keeping them competitive but you're essentially slicing a whole position off your PL. Is that something that would make sense? Uh, for some groups, I'm guessing yes, and for others, they may not be able to sustain that. Um, Elvira, what do you think of that? I'm, I'm not sure what kind of quality of life you can offer. Mm-hmm. If you're, I mean, we already, let's face it. Free coffee. They can, <laughs> yeah. They don't, no, we, are, they we already have managers. From a human barista. We, we already have <laughs> managers and chefs doing so much. You know, I know as a human resources director, mm-hmm. uh, first of all, I can't talk to the restaurant during service. Right. So that basically means that between mm-hmm. 1130 to two, two o'clock, depending on I can't I cannot talk to them. Mm-hmm. Then I can't talk to them again as they get ready for evening service. So I basically have a couple of hours a day, which means they probably have a couple of minutes to give me because they have 10 million other things sure. that they have to that they have to deal with. So, yeah, it's a tough one. Yeah, it's absolutely tough. People are already stretched really thin. All cylinders are, you know, blaring and they're going full steam ahead. Are there areas where you can consolidate jobs further? I think so. And I think as the pressure continues to build, people are going to look for that. But there's only so many hours in the day. And it's just an incredibly labor intensive business. So at some point, there's something that has to give. And I think what we see is even the menu increases, menu increases, which the big question there is mm-hmm. what is the price elasticity of the consumer yeah. you know there's right. only so much people will pay for a burger or a bowl of pasta so what is your value proposition and how are you delivering that i mean it's already very expensive to eat out and i think because we're in the industry we go out and we see prices even if you're going to go grab lunch quickly and it's like wow this is really expensive um, and going back to the same thing you're living in an expensive city so yeah. you're paying so much money in red did but, but listen, we you know, we burn people out. Mm-hmm. It's it's I think it's a critique of yeah. of the industry. We burn people out. So mm-hmm. and they're already doing multiple jobs, whether they have the title or not, whether it's part of their job description or not. They are doing multiple jobs already. So I'm not sure how much you know. I I, I feel like we're reaching a breaking point of sorts. You know. So yeah. I know the retention well, is the next topic, but. 
Yeah. I mean, I think the the HR role really mm-hmm. facilitates that. And it kind of goes back to our first question about what do we deliver to employees if we can't deliver very distinct pay grades between positions? Is this question of education and that cross-training can be maybe a way to find efficiency and eliminate positions, but it can definitely be a way to provide a very clear ladder to climb, to get to, to have upward mobility within a company. So I think there are two ways to look at cross-training. One is, can we as restaurant owners and operators reduce our labor cost as a result of cross-training? Or could we better retain our employees by cross-training as a form of improved retention means, essentially? Um, so kind of tying it back to the beginning, I think there's an opportunity to look at it both ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And giving people quality of life. I mean, that's really important. I think this day and age, quality of life is so, so important. Um, And you see issues with alcoholism, with substance abuse and other issues within the industry. You know, it it all plays into this. And people want a quality of life, especially the newer, younger generation that's getting into the industry. Not only do they want it, they demand it. And that's very interesting and as restaurateurs you also have to balance the other wants and interests within the industry because you have a lot of people working in the industry that want to work 60 hours a week and they want to get paid a set amount and you as a restaurateur have to say listen i can't just pay you this shift pay i have to pay you this plus overtime and i can't afford it and they go well and I'm going to go work somewhere else where they will pay you know so you're also fighting you know these other interests or wants that are on the complete other end of the spectrum uh, of what certain people want. And then you are trying to run your business. So they're complex questions. Yeah. I mean, when we think about millennials, and I feel like I have to pipe in here being the only millennial in the room. Hey, I'm on the cusp. I'm right. (laughs) All right. I miss about For these purposes, (laughs) I guess we can include you. Um, (laughs) No, we don't. But, you know, when, when we talk about what millennials want, a one big element of it is educational uh, educational progression right. and kind of knowing knowing how you advance through the tiers of an organization and what you have to do, which is part of why we also frequently ask for more money because we want to know where we're going and we want to know that there's some kind of payoff that's tied into that. But there are other components as well that drive millennials. One of them is identifying with the ideology of an organization. Sure. So there are, there are things that we can do as restaurant operators that don't cost anything that can enhance our ability to attract better people. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, you know, to me, what's interesting about it and what we do a lot through Empowered Hospitality is thinking about mm-hmm. what are those kind of intangible things that maybe do fit within the budget or maybe cost us nothing that we can kind of embed in the culture of an organization. That makes a lot of sense. And some of it, and not everything has to cost money, right? Maybe it's a little bit more effort. Maybe what Elvira mentioned before, maybe it's just a nicer, better family meal option. Maybe, yeah, treating people with respect and right. expectations, making sure that the job that they are doing mirrors what they were interviewing for two or three weeks prior, right? And that's where sometimes, and it could be millennials, and it extends beyond that, but people are like, no, this is not at all what I you know, interviewed for. This isn't the job that you promised me, right? And that's where the fire is under the client to make sure that they're delivering. And if they're not, millennial or not, they're going to start looking for another option. It's, so, it's really a relationship. In those first couple months, you, you, know, you do that dance, and if it's not what you think it is, or 
or it's not what you want, you're going to start looking. On the topic of respect, I think it's a good segue to the second focus of our show today, which is to talk about, uh, first of all, obviously, as a jumping off point, we're in a very interesting time right now in history where the hashtag MeToo movement and the drive towards gender equality and equality in general has become extremely vocal and extremely powerful and extremely media driven. And the question is, given that we all agree that mutual respect and valuing your people is a key part of a work environment, how do you see the movement itself changing uh, the recruitment process or our ability to retain talent or the kind of job market and hospitality in general? Uh, I guess, Elvira, we'll start with you. You know, I've been saying this for a long, long time. It doesn't cost anything to treat people well. It costs nothing to be respectful. It costs nothing to treat people with dignity. And if we just start there, um, I think a lot of these issues and problems that we have with retention will go away. I'm not, it's interesting to me that we who are hospitality and what does hospitality entail? you know, being welcoming, right? Warmth. Warmth. Um, it's like we, we as employers somehow dismiss that a lot, a lot of times. So, uh, so there's that. It's like, you know, you, you meant we talked, we were talking early and, you know, how, what kind of family meal are you putting in front of your employees? Are you just taking the scraps and throwing something together? Or are you really thinking about, you know, I was at a restaurant not too long ago where um, multicultural staff and I, I walked in during family meal and I really thought that they were setting up for a PDR. Um, it was so such a magnificent spread, you know. And I asked about it. I said, "Listen, we we have Muslims, we have vegans, we have this, we have that, we have it." So there was, you know, there were like three different kinds of proteins. There were four or five uh, vegetables. It was an amazing, an amazing spread. And it's like, okay, they care. And then I talked a little bit more. And then I I figured because of where it was, it's like this is probably there's a good chance that for a lot of these people, this is the only good meal they're going to have today. It's the one that they're going to have in this restaurant, you know, and um, it's, it's, I don't know that we think about that. You know, we're so concerned with the cost of food, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, but we can recoup some of that. But anyway, so so there's that. I don't know that. Um, I, I think all these other issues, you know, the Me Too movement, Andrew, you and I talked a little yes. bit about this. It's it's a basic lack of respect in the workplace, Period. Period. So if you if you start there, I think a lot of this other t- takes care of itself. But we unfortunately have seen too many employers just give lip service to employees are most important resource. You don't really see that. It's like okay, you know, show. I think there is an opportunity right now for those in the industry to harness what is happening and do whatever they can do to make things right moving forward within their businesses and they need to address what has ever happened uh, in the past and again I agree 110% that it comes down to respect there's obviously the issue of harassment there are the issues of inappropriate behavior and if we're talking I guess our whole conversation kind of within your question is it comes down to create an environment where people can see the food service industry as a career. Mm -hmm. It's not just a place I'm going to stop off 
for the internment. It can be if I'm going to college or I want to write a book or I'm trying to you You're know audition. Yeah. Um, it's an incredible opportunity mm -hmm. to work in the industry and make some really good money while you're getting to where you're going. But it also can be a phenomenal career. And I think, again, going back to mm -hmm. what Elvira said, creating an environment of respect. And what you said, Sarah, you know, giving people the type of experience so they feel cared for. Mm -hmm. And if for some reason something does happen that's inappropriate, if it's unlawful or inappropriate, there needs to be a means to be able to report it or even for someone else who witnesses it to report it on behalf of that person. Right. And then there's just the other environment where people actually stand up and say something because it's not just in the restaurant industry. It's in you know society as a whole. You may see something happen on the street or somewhere else. It makes you a little uncomfortable. You know it's wrong, but are you really going to put your neck out for that person or those people? I think in a lot of cases people sometimes just put their head back in their turtle shell and turn the other way but this movement hopefully allows people from all walks of life to basically stand up for each other and also not just talk about it really be about it so if you want people to treat you one way you better really start treating other people that way it makes sense it's it, in a sense you're empowering them right if you empower them with a medium to raise your hand when you see something that's not right you're empowering them with education if you're going through continuing education, whether it's beverage, food, wine, steps of service, etc. And maybe even empowering through scheduling, you know, give them the power to create their own schedule. Maybe they can switch shifts with people much easier. There's technology that can probably help with that. And they're almost creating their own ideal week, right? Depending on what they have going on. Those are things that maybe don't cost a lot of money, but give them that sense of ownership mm -hmm. that they And see. your two companies are perfect. It's one house, we're living in one house, working in one house together, and you want to empower them. Mm -hmm. Empowered hospitality. So it's you two merging. That's why you have a show where you're talking about. We're going to copyright that. Hashtag it immediately. Nice. Um, Empowered house. That. So cool. you know, on that note, kind of a related question, just briefly, uh, as of October 31st uh, of last year, we're no longer able to ask a candidate for a position what their prior salary history was. And the intent behind this regulation um, is that groups that are typically uh, disadvantaged based on that question, specifically women and minorities, will have a level playing field. So the question is, do you think it will work? So I'll, I'll turn to Elvira first. Um, <laughs> and, and I, you know, just... As some background, I think Elvira is someone who I very much look up to as a, a woman uh, leader in the industry. Uh, speaking from personal experience, I'm curious how you react to this. Thank you. Um, you know, again, for my desk is um, very much compliance driven. So although I'm not an attorney, I have to be very, very mindful uh, about the law. I'm also, you know, of, of an age, frankly, that where I was always the first woman to do X, Y, or Z. And in the executive suite, I was nine times out of 10 the only woman wow. in that executive suite. So I have a whole different kind of point of reference that maybe you do, Sarah. But that said, you know, when I'm recruiting, I'm recruiting the best person for the job. So I really don't look at, you know, male, female, pink or yellow. It's just who's the best person for the job. The challenge comes in is like, what is either my employer or my client looking for? You know, it's, it's no secret that there are 
some folks out there who really want their hostesses to be very pretty girls. So, you know, so it's like, okay, then I'm just going to get you the best people for your, for what you're looking for and counsel you on the consequences of doing what you want to do. Unfortunately, I can only bring the horse to water. I cannot make the horse drink. Um, that said, so outside of hourly, I do a lot more recruitment and management um, up to the C-suite than I do in hourly. But first of all, most candidates will volunteer that information. I don't even have to ask. They'll just tell me what it is. Um, and then it either fits or it doesn't fit with what I'm looking for. But, you know, if you, if you want to be to do this well, just make sure that you're tying your job description to experience and skills. So, and, and so your compensation is tied to that. You're doing that. Specific uh, metrics. So uh, can, yeah, exactly. A so lot you take of the emotion out of it, the just, race, exactly, everything. Exactly. So it just, it's, it's really easy to quantify these things and take that emotional um, piece out of it. I don't know if that answers your, yeah, absolutely. your, your question. Yeah, I think a lot of employers, when that law passes, are a little passed, were a little bit reactive just because it's been the culture of hiring for so long. Maybe they didn't mean it in a negative way per se, but it obviously could have these underlying consequences. So maybe they're a little response. What do you mean I can't ask why, you know, what someone was making? But at the end of the day, when you're an employer, you know how much you have to pay for a specific Absolutely. job. And who cares what they made at a different uh, workplace? It's really irrelevant. You're an employer. You have a job. You know what it's worth or what you can afford to pay for it. And I think then we also need to, again, empower people when they're going in for interviews to be able to say what they want. I think people want to have open transparency um, on all of these issues. If I'm going to you know, apply for a job, you want to know what the job's pay. Um, so I think it's fair. Perhaps when you get into higher level executive positions where you're dealing with really high level skill sets and the range that you would be paying someone is much more uh, significant, then maybe that comes into a uh, comes into play a little bit more. But most of the time people should know what the job pays. Mm -hmm make an offer, and I believe after you've made a conditional offer with some of these laws, you can end up getting um, some more information. But who cares what they did elsewhere? You want what they're going to do for exactly. you. Exactly, and you know, it's if you, it's like the market always dictates, yeah. you know, and, and we are in an employee market. Yes. Do not think otherwise. It's an employee market. So if you've been doing this for a while, you also know more or less what your range is, you know, what the bandwidth is for any particular position. Um, if you're a difficult employer with a lot of turnover, chances are you're going to have to pay a little bit more to attract people to come here. Um, if you're someone who people know that you're a great employer, you, you know, you're extremely fair, blah, 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 you're going to be able to do, you know, X, Y, or Z. So what are some ways that as an HR practitioner or an operator or someone within the industry, you can make sure that your salary ranges are appropriate? Um, well, there, <laughs> for, you know, from you're asking me to, how do I breathe <laughs> to, to a certain extent? So um, it's, it's easy. You know, we have um, organizations like the Human Resources Professionals in Hospitality, um, which I've heard referred to as the HR Mafia. Nice. in New York. Um, but we all know each other. You know, we've helped each other out. We've, we've lifted each other up in most cases. So it's not unusual 
for, um, there's also, you know, we have our own site. Uh, it's not unusual for us to be sharing this kind of information and also to be sharing good people. If you're losing someone uh, for whatever reason, you can't keep them. It's not unusual to say, hey, I've got a great X, Y, Z, anybody looking. Um, That's a good point. I mean, yeah. for us, even at one house, I can't tell you how many times we have to educate the clients, right? As far as what ranges are market, sometimes they're way off. Their expectations are, you know, ridiculous, unfortunately. And we need to kind of guide them a little bit with some bookends, right? Just to get an idea of, and then we start the, the search. Well, right? and full disclosure, right. I've used One House a lot in recruiting. Uh, they're great, by the way. Thank you. Um, and I, it's not a, you know, I, I have a pretty good idea of what I'm going to be doing. So yeah. I'll have a conversation, whether it's with Mike or Tammy or someone else in the organization who, and they might say, they might push and say, well, no, you ought to be here. And say, well, I wish I could, but I really only have this, but here's how we can yeah, work around that. What, what, yeah, Which what's. goes back to what you were saying, the overall package that right. the actual wage or the salary isn't everything. Yeah, exactly. People are looking for all different aspects of a work life experience right and what are you able to provide some people may want to work all the time other people may want time off some people really may love that great family meal other people may like great opportunities to participate in wine tastings or go get mm -hmm. to visit the farm where the produce is coming from you know so how I many times we have to negotiate for someone to you know look they don't want to work at least saturday or sunday they have a family they have kids that conversation years ago forget it that person would be done on round one right now clients actually listen a little bit a little bit more look this person needs at least one of the weekend days off right they have a family now they're starting to say you know what let that's negotiable as yeah but to you're, making, it. you're making my life really difficult hey, with that. But, extremely <laughs> difficult with that. but think about again, those happy no, kids no happy but it's, kids. Not, it's not even about the happy kids but <laughs> you're you're down to what's a reasonable yeah. um some things are deal breakers and others are somewhat flexible and, and it's not just about the pay Overall, it could be the bonuses, it could be the PTO, the time off, or it could actually be the schedule, what their week's going to look like. Are they going to close five days a week and show up home at 3 a.m., or is that something negotiable? And now, I think it opens up those conversations where it could be the difference between someone actually getting submitted to a job or not, or looking somewhere else, and you may miss out on Well, on you know, and also just being transparent, and if yeah. you're posting something, let's say you're looking for um, dishwashers, and, and, and they must work Saturdays and sure. Sundays, say that. Correct. Put it, you know, put that information on because those are issues that will the yeah. people self-select. Yes. And it's just the lifestyle. Look, it's it's a grind. This industry, you're yeah. it's nights, weekends, and holidays. And my family, going back to my great grandparents, we had bakeries in Brooklyn, Queens. We would still we would celebrate every holiday the day after the actual holiday mm -hmm. yes. because it was so busy at the bakery. You had to work all day, and by the time you end up getting home, you're completely exhausted. You're yeah. wiped. You're not going to go have a party. So by going into the industry, there's certain things that are going to be expected. You know. So if you're a doctor, you know, and you're doing your residency and you know, whatever it may be, there's a certain type of challenging lifestyle. Um, you know, if you doing, you know, trash collection, you know, you need to know going into that industry what those expectations are. And just because those are the expectations don't always necessarily mean they're going to be easy or even close to that. But I think it's in the best interest of everyone to know what the expectations are before they are getting in. And that's why when you speak with the culinary schools and they're dealing with a younger generation, millennials, 
how important it is to knock into their head like this is going to be tough you're not going to go in right. you're not going to be like the superstar executive chef yeah, tough and you're going to be working nights right. weekends oh, and holidays <laughs> don't get me right. started on. you know one of the things that we talked about a lot on the last show was transparency mm-hmm. and that selling who you really are as a company is one of the most important pieces in retention because if you're selling something that's false it will most certainly come to the surface at some point. So it, we it's, call it the, the Tinder effect, right? Yeah. Make sure that your profile, right, is the like picture the real has thing. to match. Yeah, and on the flip side, employers feel the same way because someone will come in and if they're good in an interview, they'll tell you everything. You know, right. I can do this, I can do that, I had this experience, and then you hire them, and then all of a sudden you see, well, nah, they're not really doing everything. So I think transparency on all ends, two-way street for sure, incredibly important. So on that note. I love a fiery conversation, but we're going to take a quick commercial break. And when we return, we have a little surprise for both of you. All right. Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah. Setting the table begins long before the glassware is polished, before the china is set, spotless, on the table. Setting the table begins with selecting the right people for your team. Everything flows from the expertise, innate hospitality, and critical thinking of the people who act as ambassadors to your guests every day. With One House, a recruitment firm providing a tailored talent search to hospitality operators, finding the right people is a simple recipe. One House identifies, contacts, and interviews prospective talent and conducts pre-hire reference checks. One House also assists in curating chef tasting menus and liaises between candidate and operator throughout the interview process. Empowered Hospitality delivers human resources solutions to growing hospitality companies, presenting solutions that empower owners and operators with the knowledge, guidance, and time to better grow their businesses. Empowered Hospitality Solutions include a fully outsourced HR department, a la carte recruitment, compliance, and HR hotline services, training and education, and strategic advisement. All right, we're back. So we're here with Andrew Riggi of the New York City Hospitality Alliance, Elvira Ryder, HR Director Extraordinaire, Mike Hewitt of One House, and I'm Sarah Deal of Empowered Hospitality. We want to end today, true to the name, Recruit, Retain, Relax, with a little relaxation. So we have a quick fire challenge for the two of you. We're going to blast you with some rather silly questions, and um, we'd love to learn a little bit more about what you do when you're not at work. So our first question is, uh, what book are you currently reading? I actually have a question. It's like, when are we not at work? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Fire and Fury. And? Is it everything you imagined? It's really funny. I'm just really curious. Are you having nightmares? (laughs) No, well, it's... (laughs) Andrew, how about you? So I read so much news every day for work that I'm not reading a book, but I started listening to a book on Audible, and I recently finished Power Broker about Robert Moses, which is 
absolutely fascinating, absolutely incredible. Wow. And it's about a 20-pound book or almost that. So being able to listen to it was That's quite a good nice. one. I love that. Awesome. History, yeah. So. How about uh, the most delicious bottle of wine you've had recently? HR doesn't drink. We don't drink. You're we right. We don't drink. So you, you, you have to taste. You just spit. Beverage. No, don't drink. No? <laughs> I just had non-alcoholic Mighty Leaf African Nectar Tea. It's Ooh, delicious. Really? Sounds wow. delicious. Mike, how about you? I know you can throw a, wa- a bottle of wine in there. Me? Never, never. I am obviously Spanish, so I tend to go for my Tempranillos or my Riojas, uh, my Monsans or Priorats. Right from uh, my so that was about five bottles. Right, <laughs> it's a blend. Who's counting? It's yeah. a meritage. Uh, okay. No, no, it's one after another. Actually, um, <laughs> good stuff. No. Uh, actually, what about uh, cookbooks? Olivia, are you a cookbook person, or do you go online I for go your online. goodies? I mean, I have cookbooks. Um, you know, worked with a lot of chefs, and they're very mm-hmm. sweet and kind, and have gifted me their cookbooks. Um, but I really go online more often than not. And I, if I see something, if I'm perusing and I see something, I'll just archive it and use it later. Nice. So my wife is Persian. She's an incredible cook. So I went and bought a new, because I try and you know show off a little bit too. So I went and I saw this amazing Persian uh, cookbook. Nice. I'm, I'm going to make uh, some food. So this lamb shoulder, and it was like saffron and cumin. It was just absolutely incredible. And it's called like Persiania or something. I, have, I can get nice. you the exact name, but it's really good you're gonna cook it for us on our next show. i was gonna say we're gonna have to yeah. do that yeah very cool very cool um what and about, i can I just say i, I yeah. do think that i impressed her because you know in like the persian culture like cooking from the time you wake up in the morning to the time you go to sleep and all you're allowed to dream about is cooking and preparing but, you know food. i think that's and very latin too de- yes i think sure. all yeah. cultures yeah all cultures like is, yeah i mean we, yeah it's uh yes it's it's, it's pretty amazing it just is all-consuming but Very food cool. is love. It is. It is. True. Now, what about culinary destinations? When was your last fun culinary dis- destination? I personally like to travel according to the cuisine, right? There's some countries that I'm just not going to go to because I'm not feeling their cuisine. I uh, won't mention them here. But, you know, <laughs> we look at the map. We say, okay, we love that food. We like, you know, good people. Maybe there's a beach, a mountain. Where, uh, where have you gone? Well, I'm, go- I'm going to New Orleans in a week. Or Ooh. two weeks, and I go there every couple of years, and I just like love nice. New Orleans for the whole entire vibe and the food. Um, uh, where did I eat last time? I had Peche and um, uh, Koshan, all nice. incredible. So I'm actually making my list right now of where mm. to eat. So if you have any other recommendations, please. And any cities we'll talk after the in show. the states that you're like, wow, I still haven't gone there, and I keep hearing great things about any. That I haven't gone. So I do want to go. Um, I kind of just want to drive around the country, which is mm-hmm. interesting because people have told me that someone I was talking with did a trip across the country and they're just stopping off in like little towns. I think they're in Kentucky mm-hmm. and then someone was talking about Tennessee mm-hmm. and just all these different random places. And they said it's incredible, which we alluded to before, that all of these chefs that have trained yep. in big name kitchens in New York or wherever it may be have now gone back to where they grew up and opened yes. this really cool restaurant. Mm-hmm. So I don't True. know if there's one specific state or city, but I kind of just like to take a random trip. I don't know when I get the time and just drive around and pop into places and talk to people and see like well how did you end up opening up totally. this place? Yeah. i yeah. agree we did that two years ago we did uh, san diego all the way up to oregon mm. and wow. stopping and i literally went on the maps and looked at 
the restaurants I wanted to hit, and I was like zigzagging up cool. the, the whole Very coast. Cool. I was fun. recently in Savannah, Georgia, and did the same thing. Drove down from nice. uh, New York to Tampa, and uh, I mean, what's cool is the the really cutting edge restaurants feel kind of like you're in New York, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is strange. Um, but I love the holes in the wall. Like yeah. I'll go to a diner in any city yeah. and feel like you're sitting next to the guy who really lives mm-hmm. in that city, and you kind of get to know Diners. what the culture is like. Local vibe. Yeah. Totally. I do want to go to Asheville, and my and one of my aunts and uncles Asheville, actually just moved there. They fell in love with it so random that that's where they would go, and that's where they fell in love and moved. But they just tell me it's amazing, and the food's great, yeah. and it's just a great vibe all. Take a quick turn and hit Charleston too. So after you know, I was just great. there. It's amazing. Yeah, we're going for food yeah. and wine uh, in March, and can't wait for that. It's gonna be fun. I want to go to Austin. Yes. That's another goodie. I want to go to Austin. I haven't been to Charleston in a while, but I love Charleston. I think my most memorable to date really has been I ate my way through Napa. Ooh. Wow. Yeah, it, it was phenomenal. That's a good one. I, I was yeah, that was really really great. I, I did not have a bad meal, even in a. Going in a hole in the wall, you know, or a little, like a little diner, it was just impossible to have a bad meal. That's impossible. Awesome. That's very cool. Well, that pretty much does it for today. We've talked about recruitment, retention, a little bit of relaxation, uh, and some wine drinking, etc. Uh, we'd like to thank both of our guests, obviously, Andrew Riggi and Olivia Ryder, for their insight, their wisdom, and please visit the Heritage Radio Network online and you can check us out this show the post shows future shows um and yeah we'll see see you next time thank, thank you thank you it was fun thank you Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.